Hello, this is Joseph Carlson, and this is episode 43 of Gaming with Grief. And I'm calling this episode The Warlords of DC, because it's basically an extended uh, episode uh, based on last week of my impressions of The Division 2. I'm now playing, I went back to DC, and I'm doing some of the DC content and the Season 1 Battle Pass stuff. I want to talk about that. Uh, But before we get going, remember that this podcast uh, will hit my website, www.gamingwithgrief.com, Monday morning at 7 a.m., so go there, leave a comment below the video, uh, and uh, let me know what you think, or you can drop me an email at gwgpodfellows at gmail.com. So let me know what you think there. Uh, I'll read your stuff over the air if you want me to. If not, I won't. So yeah, yeah, I'm calling this episode The Warlords of D.C., uh, I really am on a big Division 2 kick right now. Uh, I uh, completed, like I said last week, did the Aaron Keener stuff, beat him. Spoilers, the whole point of the DLC is to go after Aaron Keener. I went after him. I got him. Now, basically, with the season update, I can go back to D.C. I can go to New York, whatever I want to do. And you have a new objective, which is basically what you did in the Warlords in New York. There was four Warlords culminating in you taking out Aaron Keener. For season one, they have replicated that. So you basically have four new rogue agents that you go after, and you are going after uh, Neptune, Jupiter, uh, Saturn. Let's see, they all have uh, Roman names. Uh, Venus is one. I think Venus is the head uh, person. But basically, there's a cell of four and a leader. And uh, you have to do little mini missions. They've kind of remixed some of the missions it's basically it's very uh you know it's very grindy so what happens is in the uh warlords of new york dlc you would go to a place investigate it there was a yellow symbol like a chevron and there'd be four of them and they would be uh like uh i don't know they would be unchecked basically like light and you would finish an investigation or do a mission and it would check a box and say now go to this place And when you did all of those four things, it would unlock the location of uh, the Warlord. And some of these had to do like main missions, like take this out, take that out, blow these munitions, take this person out. I mean, the game's about shooting, so basically that was your main mechanic. I I liked it. Uh, I thought the boss battles were really, really good. Um, But basically, when you go back to DC to do it for the Season 1 content, uh, if you buy the expansion, there's two tiers to the Battle Pass. It goes to 100 levels. Uh, the free tier is you just get weapons every five or six levels. Sometimes, like, early on, you get stuff every level, and then it starts to kind of dry up. Um, what I've noticed is it's weapons that you will get in the game. I've gotten named uh, Legendary Weapons, the gold color gear in the game. And that was really cool, uh, but then they would drop as well. So it's not really giving me an advantage, uh, which I'm fine with. I think that's very fair. Uh, you know, if you don't want to pay for the battle pass, you'll probably end up, it's just a guarantee of getting this stuff. Like, Hey, if I get this level, uh, then I'll, I'll, uh, I'll get this glory days, uh, machine gun or whatever assault rifle. And what they do is you have two levels. So after you beat Aaron Keener, like I said early on, my preview of it was that, uh, you basically have, uh, a new shade level, which is, they call it infinite leveling. But what it works is you have four categories five technically uh one is offense one is defense one is utility and then the other one is uh weapon handling and then the fifth category is scavenging 
And what happens is every time you gain a shade level, you get one point to put in one of those things. And in those things, offense it has like armor, weapon damage, stuff like, or actually I think offense is like, uh, basically there's four subcategories to each category, basically describing each category. So like the, the defense is like armor, health, uh, utility is like your skill haste, you know, how fast your skills come back. And the most you can get is like 10%. So it'll come back. It, it'll add 10% over you. So they're really minor. The uh, gun handling one is like reload speed, or uh, ammo capacity. Like so how much, not your magazines, but how much you can physically hold on you. Stuff like that. And what happens is when you hit a shade level, it rotates between those five things. The scavenging is pretty interesting because what it does is it shows all the materials you have like what you're holding and what the max out is, like 1,500 pieces of steel, 1,500 pieces of, carbon, of polycarbonate. And you need that to, you know, basically build weapons and equipment. And what it'll show you is a chart and saying, hey, you could take 20 pieces of steel, whatever, or you could just take money. We'll just give you money. And what happens is when you get a shade level, it rotates between each of these things. It'll be like you get this level, a shade level on offensive. So next shade level you will earn will be defensive. So you can't just stay at one place and level it up. You, you have to go around, which I actually like because uh, part of the OCD, part of my brain would just stay in one uh, thing. Uh, you know, I'd stay in one place and level up all the way. So yeah, uh, what else? Uh, so what I was talking about, the objectives. I got a little sidetracked, so. Huh. Um, basically what happens in the objectives when you're going after these rogue agents is it is just checking a box so to get one pip you each again each rogue agent has four chevrons that basically need to be unchecked to be checked i mean and what what to do is it'll say go to the west end and which is on the map it's on the west side of the map obviously it's in dc if you go to the west end section of the map it'll light up and you'll see yellow things all over and it'll say do a bounty in this area so you do bounty and that checks a box then uh, what that does is it marks it off the list. So you have to do a bounty in an area, clear three control points, and that checks that off. The last thing is to do a main story mission in that area, and it's not any different than the main campaign of the thing of the uh, of the base game. I think some of the enemies are a little different, but the enemies are that faction. So if it's a part of the map that's controlled by the outcasts, you'll be fighting the outcast. Um, I think I did one that was Black Tusk because they had invaded that section. But it doesn't really rewrite the thing. You do the same mission, basically, you did in the game. When you complete those items, they literally check them off, put a line through them on the screen. And when all those are done, then a new bounty is added, and that is the Rogue Agent. And they aren't as bad as Keener, but they're pretty bad. They have a lot of armor. The guy I fought uh, was into electronics, so he did a lot of jamming of my equipment. Uh, he had some drones. He had seeker mines he threw at me. And not only that, but there is a lot of people they send after you. So they send a lot of heavies after you. They send a lot of veterans that have the purple uh, health bars with armor. Uh, they lay down turrets. They basically make it very hard to kill him. But once you kill him, uh, you get a bunch of really cool equipment uh, that he drops and then money. And then it checks him off the list. And if you look down, 
at the event season, the next target will be available in like a, a week or so or two weeks. Whatever. I think when it started, it was two weeks and something. And it'll be a woman. I think it's Saturn. I think Saturn. Yeah. So uh, you go after her. I don't know. Like you get audio logs every time you complete these little things like clearing three control points. You get a little audio log and update of his motivations, where he's at, stuff like that, which is kind of interesting. I actually like the audio logs. I'm actually going through right now. Uh, listening to the audio logs and stuff like that it's pretty cool um but on top of that uh at the end of this season if you take out these four people and their leader the rogue agent it says in the bottom corner here's your reward so your reward for doing all this not only xp and loot and all that kind of stuff the main reward for doing it is a new emp gun that the one i have right now shoots that flare i was talking about that burns people and you can detonate it it's been very handy i love that thing long story short you have that again, but instead of shooting a flare that burns people, this shoots an EMP. So you can actually aim. It's better than a grenade. You can aim your EMP at one person, it seems like. And I, I haven't got to use it yet, but I imagine it's like uh, it's like this one where it has a radius. And so you can affect a total group of enemies, which I think is really interesting. So, uh, you know, a lot of the Black Tusk guys, you know, you have the dogs uh, that you can EMP and whenever everybody gets EMP, they all get stunned slightly. Uh, so now you can aim for a group of them and do that, and that'll be very interesting. Uh, obviously, you're going to get XP and everything along the way. Um, so I, going back to DC, what I'm doing now is uh, my gunner skill was low. I'm actually weird, and there's the field uh, research that you do. Originally, from what I can tell, they changed this. I bought the Ultimate Edition of the game. So by doing that, I got access to the specializations early. Everybody else had access to the specializations when they logged in later, I think like a week later. But what I'm looking at is originally, I think it's for maybe people that got it for free. You basically, if you wanted to get it quickly, there was like a checklist thing, uh, a tiers of field research. You do one tier, it's like burn this many enemies, gun down this many enemies, and that would complete tier one. And you would get like blueprints or something and a vanity item. Well, they do that through five tiers. Some of the tiers I'm in now, I'm doing the gunner one. Uh, you actually get like a very, it seems to be a pretty good LMG out of the whole deal called the Slep, Slepner or something like that. It's got like a German name. So you get that. That's in one of the tiers. And the final tier is unlocking the gunner, which I've unlocked, but you also get a bunch of vanity items. You basically get a suit uh, matching the gunner specialization, which I think is kind of cool. It's more of a vanity thing. It doesn't have anything to do with armor. Um, so yeah, I mean, I'm enjoying the content. There is a little bit of the... Okay, it's a little bit grindy now. I'm just trying to get gunner points, so I'm doing side missions. And usually in the rewards, I'll look and it'll say, hey, you know, if you clear this, uh, I do a lot of bounties. If you do this bounty, you get three gunner points or you get five gunner points. And those are clearly marked in the map uh, in kind of an orange gold. So, you know, like, oh, I can ignore these provinces. These are all white bounties. I don't need to do this. Oh, look, there's one over here that's orange gold. Oh, look, that's five gunner points. That's cool. I just checked for some reason. It's been so long since I've done main missions that by doing invaded missions for the Black Tusk, you also get uh, gunner points or whatever your specialization is. So I'm going to probably start doing those soon. As you can tell in my voice, I didn't say anything. I'm sick. Don't worry. I know there's a virus going around. I have been watching the news and listening to people. Uh, I just have a head cold, but I am going to the doctor tomorrow morning to make sure everything's all right, because I do work with people that have compromised immune systems. One of the guys I work with, he has a son that has special needs, and he's the caretaker for his son. And it would be terrible if I got him or anybody that I work with sick. Uh, there has been a case at our work, at least. We have about 75 people on the floor. I work in a factory. 
somebody, uh, their relative came down with the Corona virus. And so they are quarantined at home, uh, away from their relative, obviously, but we're playing everything by ear. We get emails every few days about what's being updated. I live in Washington state. So the state is, uh, I mean, we've had some cases here. And so like I was just reading the news this morning, you know, Seattle is dead. Basically, there's a lot of, they had a photographer go up there and shoot photos of the streets in like midday and nobody's really going outside. Uh, I'm not really freaking out, but I like to be cautious. I think if you're out there and you think it's foolish, um, just be mindful, you know, wash your hands, uh, cancel as many things as you can. Uh, not only was I sick this weekend, I just watched a lot of movies and obviously played The Division, uh, just trying to be healthy, drinking a lot of water. And like I said, I just have a head cold. I don't have any other symptoms of the virus, but I'm still going to go to Multicare early in the morning and uh, get checked out and make sure everything's all right. And then uh, we had a meeting Thursday at work before I was sick. And the uh, supervisor of that area, since I'm on light duty, he said, if anybody shows symptoms of being sick, we will automatically just send you home. So I probably will just have to be home for a while, which I don't normally do. I think like a lot of people... Uh, you know, we don't think we need to go to the doctor and we don't, we think we'll be okay. And I think right now it's just one of those things where, uh, I'm just thinking about my health and my family a lot. So, you know, if I need to be home for three or four days to keep everybody around me healthy and, uh, not get anybody that I work with sick, again, there's 75 people on the floor. So if one person is sick, you know, that could spread like wildfire. I'm not even talking about the coronavirus, just in general, it affects everybody around you. It's really made me you know, think about that stuff. It's it's not right to me want to go to work uh, for the few days. I have quite a bit of PTO uh, saved, about 60 some odd hours. So if I need to be home for a few days uh, just to keep people safe, I'll do that. I text my boss. I have two bosses. I text them, hey, I'm going to do this thing. Just to let you know I don't feel well, but I'm going to go in tomorrow. Um, but I don't feel, like I said, it's more of a sinus thing, I think. And it's just all in my head right now. I don't have any shortness of breath. There's no pain in my chest. I don't have aches. It's just a sinus headache right now. And as you can tell, I don't sound right. So, But I'll get checked out tomorrow. I'll be fine. So if not, I'm going to be at home for at least 14 days. I have a feeling the doctor's going to say like, hey, you seem sick. Stay home for about you know four days or so just to clear everything up. Uh, and I'll do that, you know, and everybody right now at work understands. I don't think anybody, uh, we had the general manager tell people that there'll be no actions for people that are staying home that are sick. You know, it's not like they're going to go after them or anything like that. So, um, yeah, just, uh, don't be crazy out there, but be mindful of people and just, and, and I've seen a lot of kind of snide comments online about, you know, young people saying, well, it's not going to hurt me. So what does it matter? And I was listening to someone who is, a works for the CDC. They were a pathologist. I don't know their name, but they researched diseases. And they said the problem with some of these things like the uh, coronavirus is that you can be asymptomatic or have the virus, not know you have the virus. And the moment you have it, you are already contagious to people around you, meaning you don't show symptoms. You think you're fine and you go out to the supermarket or you go somewhere. Now, all those people that you come in contact with may or may not have the virus. So again, it's not just about you. You have to think about people around you. Again, I'm not freaking out. I'm just telling you, be mindful. Wash your hands. Uh, you know, Try to cancel as much stuff as you can if you don't have to go out. I know in Washington, they've closed, I think, every school. Jansley's closed schools, which is terrible for people who don't have childcare. I feel for you guys. 
But I mean, you know, you want your kids to be healthy and safe. So I hope, uh, you know, I hope you guys are able to make it work out. Um, yeah. So, well, let's talk about something a little bit better. Um, since I've been off and not feeling well, I watched a documentary called Not For Resale. Uh, it's called uh, Not For Resale. It was directed by uh, Kevin, J- Kevin J. James. came out this year. Um, I heard about it. It has some personalities that I follow. Uh, we're in it. The um, I don't know his name, but he's the angry video game nerd. He is in it. He's being very. He's being interviewed. Uh, Greg Miller is in it. He used to be of IGN. He's now uh, part of Kind of Funny. I listen to a lot of Kind of Funny content. And there's Andrea Renee. She has what good What's Good Game. She's a host. She's been on TV. Uh, they interview all these people, and they go to a lot of independent game shops that are still selling. Obviously, old secondhand games and systems, and they start interviewing customers, uh, mostly the employees of the stores, and like how they're, you know, how they're making business work, and they talk about nostalgia. Uh, one of them has actually opened a museum uh, in the Northeast. Uh, I think he's in New Jersey, uh, which I think is pretty amazing. And I kind of, you know, digital is obviously a big reason why a lot of them said. Uh, their business is dying. They said, you know, we're a lot like Blockbuster. A lot of them said, uh, we see the writing on the wall. Like, you know, people, you know, people do buy things, but they buy one or two things. But when people come in, they'll sell systems and collections. And uh, one of the guys said, um, he was one of the bigger ones in the East Coast. He said, we sell any, anywhere from 700 to 1500 bucks a day selling stuff, you know, they or not selling, but buying stuff from people. So they buy systems and collections from people. It sounds like more than they sell, which, you know, people want to offload their uh, collections. Uh, and uh, like one guy came in and they, they kind of, you know, filmed them negotiating. The guy had an old Sega Saturn uh, and with every game and they were in immaculate shape. And the owner said, have you done research? The guy said, yeah, this is all about $1,200 worth of stuff. But um, my life is changing. We're getting married. I'm trying to get a house. And I know you need to make a profit, so I'll give it all to you for six or seven hundred dollars because you need to make a profit. And uh, the guy said, "Yeah, we have a deal," and gave him the money. And then he had to find a place to put all this stuff. And luckily, he had a basement, but that was getting full. Um, so uh, they do actually towards the end of the documentary interview people and talk to them about, uh, you know, a lot of them. It is nostalgia. Like they talk about, man, you know, people come in and they'll grab a game and go, man, I remember playing this with my brother I remember drinking too much in college and playing this with a bunch of people this is really great and I was talking to my wife after I watched it it is a very well-made documentary and I don't want to speak for any of those people obviously these are my feelings but um I think some of it got contextualized when my parents passed away um you know I can't I can't talk to my parents anymore I can't call them to see how they're doing Uh, I can't have those moments with my mom or dad that I remember when I was young but I have the memories of them, you know. I remember my father and I playing catch, uh, you know, in the backyard. I remember when uh, I would do chores and my mom would make me a sandwich or uh, she hid Easter eggs in the backyard for an Easter egg hunt. Uh, I remember doing that. My socks turned blue uh, because I ran out in my socks and I wanted to find all the Easter eggs. And I remember, you know, um, my father teaching me to drive um, and the fact that uh, in idle, my first car basically idled about 20 miles an hour, so you could just let it go and it would idle down the street, which is crazy. And I remember him saying, "I definitely need to fix that." 
Uh, my mom also tried to teach me to drive, and that was good. I remember yelling at her because she was yelling at me, which is not a good way to learn how to drive. Uh, I, long story short, I, I think for me, I remember playing Super Mario Brothers, and I remember playing Super Mario Brothers 3. I remember when I got my first NES. It was not around the launch. I think it was like a year after launch, which I guess in the 80s is around launch. But I remember sitting there with my cousins. I found a photo uh, which I think I want to put online somewhere, or uh, I found it. And it's my two cousins and I all sitting there looking at me playing the NES. I let them play, but not much. And I remember being in Bakersfield, California. I want to say it was 87 or 86. Um, and I remember playing it all day. Now it's 70 degrees outside because it was winter uh, in California. So it was Christmas Day. It was like 60-something, 70 degrees. And I remember my grandmother looking at me about four hours into me playing said, is this all you're going to do all day? And my mom looking at her deadpan saying, well, you bought it for him. You know, so this is what you get, basically. And uh, I remember that. So I don't need to go buy an old NES to remember that. I remember that feeling. And I remember my cousins really wanted to play. And like I said, I let them play, but not a lot. I did not. It was my NES. Screw you guys. And I remember getting a bunch of toys, too, that year. And it was really nice. And I was young. I think it was like 8 or 10. So I got... Uh, I was eight, I was 8 years old. So I think I got spoiled. I mean, you get spoiled when you're 8. You know, you get clothes. You literally want to throw those in the garbage. You just want the toys. Uh, I got a complete set of the Ninja Turtles. That's pretty cool. Uh, I got all the Ninja Turtles. I didn't get Splinter. I didn't get, uh, I didn't get Shredder. But I got the Turtles. And that was pretty cool. Uh, and I remember getting a lot of other uh, clothes, threw those away. Screw that. Clothes are dumb. Clothes are real dumb. You just want the toys. But I remember playing that NES all day. And I don't need, again, I don't need to buy an old NES to uh, play those things. Now, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to sit here and say everything they're saying is foolish. Because uh, there is things that I have played in the past that I want to go back and play because I remember them. And also, some of, some of it's one of those things where you didn't finish. There's a few Genesis games out there that I never finished. And I do understand in the documentary them talking about preservation. Like, where does this stuff go? You know, this big pile of plastic. It is a part of history, no matter what you think about video games or not. It is something sizable that happened in uh, technology. And the Library of Congress is getting into it where they're saving games and games collections, which is really great. And I think that's amazing. But, like, there's no kind of digital repository or anywhere, any way, except for me to go buy an old Genesis and beat a game. Because some of them, uh, I played a lot of, like, RPGs, and some of it is me going, oh, I do love that IP. Um, I do enjoy this. But um, I never finished it, and I wanted to see where it went. I'm sure I could look online and see that. And some of it is... I have an SNES Classic, which is a collection of 21 games from the, the SNES, the Super Nintendo system. I have that in the library, and I got it because I never bought an SNES. So I don't have the nostalgic pull of a lot of other people, but I bought it because there's games on there that I've never played that people say, this game is very good. You should uh, play it, you know? And there's Secret of Mana on there, there's Super Metroid, there's Link to the Past. A lot of these games have been out a long time, and I'm sure a lot of people have already, you know, everybody's played them and said they're great. I want to experience them for myself. So I'm not nostalgic for it. I just want to have the ability to play these things. Like, I want people to go, hey, um, there's like the Adventures of Billy Jack, I guess, which is an old NES game. Uh, I hear on podcast mentions every once in a while. Apparently, it's not that great of a game. But I want to be able to turn that on and plug it in and say, oh, uh, 
yeah, this is really bad. Even if you experience it for a couple minutes. So in a way, I don't think it's nostalgia. It's a historical idea of holding on to those things. That's what I want. I want to be able to say, yeah, man, I rolled change to buy Defenders of Dinatron City for the NES. And that game is terrible. Um, I've seen some YouTube videos, and it still is terrible. But I want to be able to have a record of that. And I understand digitally that's terrible because what's happening is... Um, you know, um, DuckTales is a good example. Uh, if you guys don't know, uh, a company, I believe called WayForward, remade the old NES game DuckTales. They uh, cleaned it up, released it. Well, what happened was because DuckTales is owned by Disney and they're kind of consolidating their storefronts and stuff like that, uh, they took it off the marketplace. They took it off. You can't get it anymore. So yes, you can always play the NES version of DuckTales and that won't be taken away from you. But if you want to support WayForward, this company that worked very hard to remake this game and made it look really good from the video clips and the screenshots I saw, they did a great job. If you want to make it, uh, you can't play it. You can't play it anymore unless you have a physical copy. Uh, another example is PT, which Hideo Kojima, who creates Metal Gear, um, he... Uh, Famously broke from Konami, but before he did, he released something called PT, which was a, pl- a playable, a playable trailer, which was his pitch idea for I think Silent Hills. And you literally walk through an endless hallway hundreds of times, noticing every detail. Uh, and at the end of the hallway, you usually die, and a ghost grabs you or something. Long story short, it is a puzzle game where you're trying to figure out the correct way to move through this endless time loop, um, and so I played it and was blown away visually. Uh, it's really dark. This ghost, the, the hallway looks kind of disgusting. But there's the same thing uh, down the hallway. You know, there's like a clock, some photos of a family. There's some pills on a table. You go around a corner and there's a bathroom. You hear babies crying in the bathroom. Sometimes you can go in the bathroom and there's a fetus in the bathroom that's crying, which is disturbing on a whole new level. Uh, if you guys know the, know my podcast or know the website, you would know why that is slightly disturbing. Um, but one thing that I'm kind of blown away with that is that, um, that, uh, they pulled it off the store after Kojima broke, uh, with Konami, you cannot buy, it was a free download, uh, when he released it because he wanted to show people, Hey man, this is what I'm working on. You can't buy that anymore or download it at all. Like I said, I think it was a free download actually, but you cannot download it. So Konami has pulled it off the store. People have downloaded it. You can't update your PS4 because if you update uh, your PS4, it will be unplayable. Like, that is a big problem. I want to be able to sit down and experience uh, PT. I did play it for a little bit, but I want to, you know, keep playing it until it's, uh, you know, um, till I can finish it. And I think that's the problem. For me, it's not nostalgia. It's the historical relevance of these things that are just going away. You know, like, again, I can't play PT. Uh, those games for the Genesis that I used to play, I can't play those. Uh, I know there's a Genesis Mini, but I understand for a company, they're like, hey, we only have so many, so much time and resources. We can't put every Genesis game on this. So you have to look for a modding community to be like, hey, I got this Raspberry Pi. It has every Genesis game on it. Cool. Well, I just want to play one because I want to see where it goes. And I never finished it when I was young. You know those things you never finish and you just want to see it through? I mean, long story short, uh, I don't... Uh, mm, I don't really blame anybody for wanting to experience that moment when they were young and say, man, oh, man, I remember playing Street Fighter 2 on the Super Nintendo, you know? 
uh, I want to get the Super Nintendo fired up and do that again. For me, it's still having new experiences, but being able to go back and look at things back then that you were able to look at and uh, experience. So, I mean, that's what I want. For me, it's more of a historical thing and the fact that, you know, video games are uh, obviously a visual and physical medium. So it's it's not good enough to just have a piece of art on the wall. It's, uh, you know, so for me, it is a historical reason to do it, not a nostalgia reason. It's uh, strictly the fact that these things are going away and you have no way, you have no way to preserve, uh, you know, the integrity of those things. So anyway, guys, that was a little long winded, uh, check out, not for resale. You can rent it on Amazon prime. That's where I got it. I think you can buy it on iTunes. I rented it on Amazon prime for five ninety nine. Uh, so you can do that if you want. Um, anyway, uh, stay safe out there, guys. I know there's a virus going on. Again, it's not about you sometimes. It's about other people that are sick. Maybe they have a compromised immune system. Maybe you need to cancel that dinner just so everybody there could be healthy. Um, so, yeah, uh, I think that's going to do it this week. So, anyway, this will hit Monday morning at 7 a.m. at www.gamingwithgrief.com. Go there. Uh, let me know what you think. Uh, leave a comment. Or go to gwgpodfellows at gmail.com and, uh, you know, uh, drop me a line. Let me know what you think of the show. I'm not on iTunes yet. I'm still working on that. I'll tell you this much. If I do get sent home from work and have four days off, uh, there will be some improvements to probably the website. And I'll probably try to get on iTunes until we'll have time to dedicate to that. So anyway, guys, stay safe, stay healthy, and I'll talk to you guys next week. Bye.